we've uh, just sung together uh, there, talking about dull souls. And unless uh, the Lord lights the flame, uh, never can my love be, be warm to praise. And so when we praise the Lord uh, in fullness of heart, uh, we can be sure that's because the Lord is at work uh, in our lives uh, to warm our hearts uh, to that praise. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be reading uh, Mark 1, uh, verses 9 through uh, 14, spending our time, uh, 9 through 13, uh, and spending our time in, uh, in verses 12 and 13 uh, this morning. So we continue along in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, and we'll pick up the story uh, in Mark 1, uh, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit uh, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Lord, as we've just sung and confessed together in, in him, Lord, that uh, by nature we are dull souls and that unless you light the flame, uh, our hearts will never be warm to praise. And so, Lord, we pray uh, for then the help of your Holy Spirit, even this morning, for the one who preaches that he would preach faithfully and for all of us who hear uh, that you would hear that we would hear your voice uh, speaking to us of great things, eternal things, things of our, our Savior, uh, even today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you may remember uh, many years ago now, 1988 uh, to be exact, when a uh, very uh, controversial film uh, caused quite a stir uh, in the theaters. In fact, many churches protested its being shown in their city. Um, others were curious uh, what this film uh, might be all about. It was called The Last Temptation of Christ. And the reason, you may recall, that film was so offensive uh, to Christians was because it portrayed a Jesus uh, who was not only like us in every way, but who was also like us in in sin. That is, that in this, in this film, he was portrayed as imagining what it would be like to sin. That is, in his thoughts, giving in to sin. And uh, you can uh, imagine why such a portrayal of Jesus would get people angry. Uh, because if you've read the Bible, you know that to portray a Jesus who actually sinned in his life or even uh, thought about sinning in this life is to portray a Jesus who is uh, no longer the Jesus of the Bible and no longer the Jesus who the Bible describes as the perfect Savior, the sinless 
Savior. The one who obeyed God perfectly in every way so that uh, we might, in fact, be saved through his death and resurrection. So thankfully, uh, we've been not left in the dark as to how Jesus, in fact, did handle uh, temptation. Our eternal salvation does not hinge on the imaginations of movie producers or Hollywood stars. Isn't that good news? That's good news. It relies on, on the Word of God. And we've been given the Word of God, which tells us, uh, for instance, in Hebrews, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And, of course, that great truth, because Jesus faced temptation uh, and came out victorious, we too, the Bible tells us, if we, have, if we are in Him, if we have embraced Him by faith, we too then are victorious and are enabled to fight the good fight of the faith and overcome as well. Now, Mark 1, verse 12, that we uh, just read together, follows right on the heels of one of the most dramatic events in all of Scripture, which we looked at uh, last week. Jesus has just been, in this passage, Jesus has just been, according to Mark, uh, baptized by John the Baptizer. Remember, he has, Jesus then has identified himself with sinners. It was a baptism of repentance for their forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, who would uh, die in the place of sinners here, identifies himself with sinners at the beginning of his ministry in a wonderfully humble way. Holy Spirit, we read, descends upon him uh, in the form of a dove. That is, Jesus then, in his human nature, receives uh, the fullness of the Spirit. He is equipped, uh, empowered. Uh, he receives the Spirit, the Bible says, without measure. And then we heard, of course, the voice of the Father from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. And the Bible says that's the testimony of God. And there is only two kinds of people, those who receive the testimony of God about His Son and those who believe God is a liar. You see, there's only two. And He has spoken from heaven this testimony about who Jesus is. He's the King, He's the Son, and He will be the suffering servant in whom the Father uh, delights. And uh, later in the Gospels, we're going to hear... Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, for instance, that voice of the Father is going to be heard again. Uh, very similar words, a little, bit, a little bit different though. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. <laughs> and so, uh, so that voice from heaven not only tells us who Jesus is, but also will call us, of course, to listen to everything He says. And the Bible says later in the, in the Gospels when uh, Jesus is transfigured before, uh, before the disciples. The disciples will hear that voice from heaven and they'll fall on their faces when they recognize that voice. That's how they respond to the testimony of who Jesus is and what he's come uh, to do. And that's important because uh, as we go through this gospel, every one of us, every one of us is confronted here uh, right at the beginning of Mark with the voice of God and divine testimony about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. There is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus Christ. You don't come to church as a neutral observer. Uh, Jesus tells us you are either for him or you are against him. You either believe the testimony or you think God is a liar. But there is no one sitting here this morning who says, well, I just haven't made up my decision. No, if you haven't made up your decision about God, that means that you don't believe him. And so there's no one here this morning, no matter what your age, who's neutral with regard to the testimony of God regarding Jesus. He either is the Savior 
or God is a liar. And so that's what we looked at last time. Now here, uh, we come to verse 12, so we're right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's identified with his people. Uh, the Holy Spirit's come upon him. The voice of the Father has, has uh, said, this is my beloved son. And what is the very first act of ministry that Mark gives to us uh, here in the Gospel? This is what happens. Verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now the word Satan means adversary. Someone who is opposed or against. So right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's just heard the voice of the Father. Uh, but now, as he begins his ministry, we are made aware that there is a great adversary. Someone who is opposed to this Jesus and to all that he stands for. Now in some ways it's a real strange beginning, wouldn't you say? Uh, to you know, Mark's gospel and Jesus' public ministry. Even before Jesus' ministry gets underway, uh, Satan uh, is at the ready seeking to lead him astray. As one has put it, uh, heaven, right? Heaven had just been torn open, and now uh, hell uh, opens before Jesus. Why would Satan attack Jesus at this point? He's just been baptized. I mean, he's barely begotten, uh, begun his ministry. We don't hear of any miracles. He hasn't uh, done any great wonders yet. And yet Satan welcomes this opportunity in all his fury and with all his power uh, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry because uh, he sees that Jesus is preparing to set out on the mission uh, the Father has given him. He's the Son. He's the one in whom the Father delights. He's the King. He's the Messiah. He's coming to accomplish the redemption of men, the establishing of his kingdom, and uh, Satan is right there to oppose and so, in one sense, what's going on here? Nothing less than this. The Satan here in this passage is attacking your and my uh, very uh, salvation in the person of Jesus. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want there to be a Savior. He doesn't want there to be a king who rules over the kingdom, unless it's his own. And so, as you read this passage... Uh, this is the adversary who's not only opposed to Jesus, to God, and all that's holy, he's opposed to you. And that's who comes uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He attacks, and he's going to attack Jesus, but he attacks us all. He attacks pastors, he attacks leaders, uh, and he wants them to fall. He attacks uh, Christians uh, because he, he, wants, he wants you to fall. And Satan attacks because he knows that if he can succeed in getting Jesus to fall... It would mean the end of the, the hope of redemption for men. He doesn't want to see Jesus' kingdom come. His will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. And so it's kind of strange, but then we see, no, Satan is the adversary. He wants Jesus to fail. But this meeting is even more strange, did you know? Because it's not ultimately Satan who initiates this time of temptation for Jesus. Did you catch that? But it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, verse 12, the Spirit who has just ascended upon Jesus without measure immediately drove him out into the wilderness. It's the Spirit who is directing Jesus' steps. Now, Matthew and Luke say that the Spirit led uh, Jesus uh, to this meeting to be tempted by Satan. Mark says the Spirit uh, drove him immediately. And again, remember, this is Mark now. He's taking us through the life of Jesus. There's a sense of urgency. Uh, there's a sense of necessity. 
but that word uh, drove out is the same word that's used later in this same chapter when the Bible talks about Jesus casting out demons. That is, uh, thrust, uh, thrusting out. So there's a sense of, of, of mission here. Not that Jesus was reluctant, but the Holy Spirit, the Bible is saying, is, is impelling him forward. Remember, he is fully, fully uh, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit impels him to go to the wilderness. This is not leading Jesus to temptation in order for Jesus to sin. This is not leading into a temptation uh, with the purpose of falling. Um, you'll know that in the, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus will teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What Jesus means is that prayer is not, is not keep us from any outward temptations. That would be impossible. But the prayer is, do not lead us uh, into temptation such that we would fall. And this is not what is happening here. But Jesus is being driven into the wilderness for this meeting uh, in order that Satan indeed would have opportunity to tempt him. But, friends, we have to see here, this is, this is God's purpose. This is in God's providence what must take place, that Jesus would encounter Satan. So that's the first thing here. This is not accidental. It was the very purpose of God that Jesus would face Satan. Now, the question is, why? Well, just as Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and the garden became the scene of Satan's temptation through the serpent, here, Jesus begins his public ministry just, just as Adam came on the scene. Jesus comes from Nazareth, and no sooner do we read of Jesus entering upon his calling as King and Messiah, the Redeemer of men, than the Bible says he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Because Satan is the adversary of all that is holy. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, the Apostle Paul writes this, Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man, that's Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. So the Bible says there's a first Adam, then there's a last Adam, there's a first man, and there's a second man. And Satan comes to both. In Romans 5, the Apostle writes this, For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And again, for if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And you see, so Adam and Jesus are, are linked here in the Bible. First Adam, last Adam. First man, last man. Second man. And Satan comes to destroy uh, both. So Satan comes here. Uh, uh, to Jesus. But this is the plan, you see, and purpose of God. It's the Spirit who drives Jesus, impels Jesus into the wilderness so that he can do, in fact, battle with Satan. And so, uh, Jesus is driven 
into the wilderness. Now, the Bible tells us here, the Son of God, second Adam, uh, enters the scene of history. Satan, Satan must have thought that uh, the first Adam had been such a pushover. Perhaps Jesus wouldn't be able to withstand him either. So a strange beginning. Secondly, a, a sustained uh, assault upon Jesus. Verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days. 40 days being tempted by Satan. Matthew tells us Jesus was in the wilderness fasting. Uh, that's what he was doing. 40 days and 40 nights fasting. Luke 4.2 says Jesus ate nothing. He was hungry. And you think 40 days. Wait a minute. 40 days. Didn't it rain on the earth? Forty days and forty nights in the great flood when God sent judgment upon the world. Yep. You say to yourself, well, wait a minute. Wasn't Moses on Mount Sinai forty days and forty nights as, as he was leading God's people out of Egypt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't the spies search out the land of Canaan forty days and forty nights in preparation for entering the promised land? Mm-hmm. Didn't Goliath uh, challenge the Israelites forty days? Morning and evening, in opposition to God's people, seeking to destroy them. Mm -hmm. Didn't the food given to Elijah while he was fleeing Jezebel give him strength for 40 days and 40 nights, sustained by God in a time of weakness? Yes. And wasn't Jonah's warning to Nineveh 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown? Judgment will come. Yes. Yeah, that's all true. This is a a significant period of time in the Bible. And the Bible says 40 days in the desert. Matthew tells us he was fasting. Uh, Jesus is is hungry. Now, what we don't know is whether or not Jesus was being tempted all these 40 days. Uh, Matthew tells us that it was after 40 days uh, that uh, Satan comes with three very specific temptations. Here in Mark and in Luke, it simply says 40 days. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. So it could, could be, uh, the Bible doesn't say, could be that Jesus was tempted throughout that time, you know, when he's in the wilderness. But what we do know for sure is that at the end of those 40 days, uh, that Satan came to him with three very specific temptations as Jesus is hungry in the wilderness. So Satan, first of all here, we know, attacks Jesus in his time of weakness. Just as he attacks us in our time of weakness. That's why Paul tells the married In Ephesians 4, remember this verse, don't let the sun go down on your anger or else, uh, remember, or else you give the devil uh, a foothold. You don't want to give in your life a foothold that is an access point or a stepping stool for the devil. You don't want to say, okay, here, devil, here's a little step stool so you can get at me a little easier. Don't do that. He attacks us in a time of, of weakness, whether it's physical weakness, spiritual weakness. Uh, mental weakness, whatever it is. Uh, if there's a weakness, uh, he comes. And Satan in this temptation implies to Jesus, obviously God is not providing uh, for you. How do we know that? Well, turn with me. You have your Bible open. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, who helps us understand a little more clearly uh, what are some of the specific temptations that Jesus here in Mark is experiencing that Mark doesn't tell us about. Well, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 4, Uh, Verse 3, this is what we read. And the tempter came 
and said to him, that's Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse six, uh, Satan comes to him again and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes some some scripture. And then in verse eight and nine, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give to you if you will fall down uh, and worship me. But for our purposes, let's just let's just look at that very first specific temptation that that comes to Jesus and how Jesus responds. If you are, says Satan to Jesus, the son of God, verse three of Matthew four, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of, of God. Now, notice this. So Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, he's been fasting, so he's, he's hungry. Remember, he's fully, he's fully man. And so Satan attacks at his wing. He says, well, if you're hungry, you can make these stones into bread. Now, now behind that, of course, is Satan saying things to Jesus like, like this. Obviously, God, the, the, the Father, has, has sent you into the wilderness. You don't have any food. Uh, he's not uh, providing for you. And because He is failing you, you need to take things into your own hands. You can't trust Him. You know, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Worship, worship me. You can't trust Him. Maybe you should test Him and throw yourself from the temple. But you, can't, you can't trust Him. Make your own way. You cannot trust him. It's, it's, up, uh, it's up to you. Now, does that sound familiar? You can't trust him? You need to do it. That is what Satan's doing for his time with Jesus in the wilderness. Now, remember, Jesus' temptation here is much more aggravated than it was for Adam and Eve. I mean, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. Adam had plenty of trees, we're told, to eat from uh, in the garden. Adam was in the context of paradise. Jesus, we're specifically told, is in the context of the barren, desolate uh, wilderness. And what is the temptation? Satan, friends, was simply attempting to persuade Jesus he didn't really need God. He didn't really need to depend on, on God, his Father, he didn't really uh, need uh, God himself. He could take his life into his own hands, provide for himself, test God, don't worship God, strike out on your own. Which is exactly what, what Adam and Eve did. Pull yourself up, maybe, Satan would say to us today. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Mr. and Mrs. American. You don't need God. You don't need to go to church. You don't need, you don't need the family of God. You can do it yourself. You can provide for yourself. You can get it all yourself. Joy and peace and happiness, maybe in drink, maybe in drugs, uh, sex, whatever it is. You just go after it yourself. You don't need God. And if God doesn't give you what you want or what you need, you have to go out and get it yourself. How can you, how can you fault Satan for such a can-do attitude? that our culture so loves. And don't miss here, friends, simply this, that Satan's real. 
He's in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Satan is a real spiritual being. And the Bible says he is against God and he's against Jesus and he's against you and he wants you to die. He does not want you to be saved. And as C.S. Lewis said in the screw tape letters in, in different ways, Satan's greatest goal in many ways is to convince you and I that he does not exist. <laughs> right? Well, that would be the best uh, way, right, for Satan to do his, his work if he could convince you and I that he was not real, but always very real. How did Jesus respond to whatever? Uh, if there were more temptations, these three temptations, well, you know, every time. Uh, but really, in that first temptation, he helps us there. He says, uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, isn't that wonderful? I mean, we have Jesus' response to all the wiles of Satan. That is, uh, whatever you hold out to me that you want me to desire and go after, thinking somehow my Father won't provide for me, whatever you hold out to me, you know what? Uh, that's not what I live for. What I live for, and what is my food and drink... Is every word that my Father has spoken. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, why do we believe the Bible is inerrant? Or why is the Bible infallible? And why is, why is every single passage of Scripture so important? Why is every, every, every line from God and breathed out by God? I just want to follow Jesus, you might say. I'm not concerned about the Bible. I just want to follow Jesus. I just want to love people. Jesus loved people. I'm not concerned about what the Bible says. I don't care about sermons and that kind of stuff. I just want to live for Jesus. Well, friends, when you go to the Bible and say, well, wait a minute, here's a question. What did Jesus believe? About the Bible. About the Word. That you study. And that you want someone to preach to you. And what did Jesus say? And Jesus said in the face of Satan, He said, uh, whatever you're offering, I'm not taking. But I will eat up... Uh, Every word that my Father has spoken. That, of course, is our great defense also against the wiles of Satan. But Jesus, friends, the Bible says here, was 40 days then in that wilderness. Satan's fury coming against him opposed him. He's the adversary. And don't ever doubt that Jesus was in fact tempted in a mysterious way. Way. Listen to William Hendrickson, Reformed commentator of the past. That Christ's temptation experience actually occurred. It's not, not only here in Mark, uh, but also in Hebrews. He was tempted. He was tempted in all points or in every respect as we are, yet without sin. That is, without falling into sin. But these passages, he writes, cannot mean, however, that the psychological process involved in being tempted was exactly the same for Jesus as it is for men in general, or for you or me. Because for, for, for us, believers, when Satan tempts us, he says, there is first the tempting voice or inner whispering of Satan. That is our sinful nature urging us to sin. And so when our sinful, our sinful desire hears Satan tempt us, he's got an access point in there. But there's also the inner desire, says Hendrickson, goading the tempted one to give heed to the devil's prompting. Thus man, the Bible says, being drawn away and enticed, we read it earlier this morning, by his own evil desire, sins. 
With Christ, the case was different. The outward uh, stimulus, that is outward in the sense it did not originate in the Lord's own soul, but was the voice of another was there, Satan was there, speaking, tempting, but the inner evil incentive or desire to cooperate with that voice from without was not. Nevertheless, the temptation, that is the sense of need, the consciousness of being urged by Satan to satisfy that need, the knowledge of having to resist the tempter, and the struggle to which this gave rise was, was real, even for, for Christ. See, the devil whispers in our ear, don't trust the Father. Obviously, he's left you here in the wilderness. You've just got to strike out on your own. And when the devil says that to us, there's that, oh, there's that sinful nature. Our own desires within us saying, yeah. That's right. You know, why, why has God put me in this situation? Why am I sick? You know, why do I have this cancer? Why, why don't I have the friends I want to have? And why, why, why aren't I married like I want to be? And, and, what, and there's this inner, inner sinful nature that hears that temptation to forsake God and, and, it, and, it, and it responds. But make no mistake, friends, that was not within Jesus. There's no sinful nature there, but He was tempted. He was urged. He was hungry. And he felt all those, those things that, that, we, that we feel as well. But when Satan comes to Jesus, seeking to tempt him to strike out on his own, how does Jesus respond? Well, the Bible tells us, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus uses the Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, as a shield to protect himself during that attack. It is written. It is written. It is written. And Jesus shows us then the true way of fighting the most difficult battles of life if we want to be sure of the victory. Forty days being tempted by Satan, a sustained assault. Jesus' food and drink and help and shield, we're told, was the Word of God. Now quickly, so it's a strange beginning here to Jesus' public ministry. Sustained assault. Uh, Mark doesn't give us many details, but 40 days tempted by Satan. And then there's a surprising finish. Here in the Gospel of Mark. Isn't this kind of strange? The Spirit immediately, verse 12, drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. And then uh, Mark goes on. Because remember, he's, he's, uh, he's got a press on in the life of Jesus. Now, what do you notice immediately uh, about Mark's account of this uh, temptation of Satan uh, a temptation of Satan coming to Jesus. What do you notice immediately? Well, Mark doesn't tell you how it ends. Did you notice that? Mark doesn't say, and, and you know, and Jesus withstood him. Hmm. Well, we know he did, because there's Matthew, uh, and there's Luke. Matthew, in fact, will end this encounter. Jesus will command Satan with authority. You know, be gone. And Satan leaves. Uh, the end of the story in Luke. Luke will say that uh, Satan's rebuked, and then uh, um, uh, and he's rebuked for trying to test God and so forth. Uh, but also, Luke tells us that that Satan left Jesus uh, until an opportune time. So Luke reminds us that Satan will be back. That is in the voice of Peter, the Apostle Peter. He'll be back in the voice of the Apostle Peter. 
When the Apostle Peter says to Jesus, uh, far be it from you, Lord, you, you don't need to die. That was the voice of Satan through Jesus or through, uh, through the Apostle Peter to Jesus at that time. Uh, he will be back in the crowds as they gather around the cross and uh, they mock Jesus and say, oh, this is the one who said he could you know, destroy the temple. Uh, you know, if he had really all this power, he could come down from there right now. And Jesus hears that. And he could have come down. He could have called legions of angels. But he doesn't. So Satan, Luke tells us, will be, uh, will be back. But here, Mark doesn't mention that. Instead, Mark mentions something the others don't. And Jesus was with the wild animals. And angels were ministering to him. All the other Gospels tell us the angels were ministering to him. Someone once said, you know, when they get to heaven, first person, of course, they want to see is Jesus. Uh, next person they want to see is the angels who ministered to Jesus. Or the angel in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, Jesus. But what about this angel who's the one who ministered to him? Woo! So all the Gospels, but only Mark, as he speaks to us of Jesus who's taken on our uh, who will take on our sin, who, who's baptized uh, in our place, and, uh, and who's now facing down Satan in our place. Only Mark says, and Jesus was with that, that whole time, out in the desert, in the wilderness, with, with wild animals, as he experienced the temptation of, of Satan. Boars, maybe, jackals, hyenas, foxes, leopards, lions there at the time. That is, he was in, says Mark, don't forget this, he was in the, the cursed, fallen world as he experienced the fury and the opposition of the evil one. And he was there, driven by the Spirit to do battle with Satan so that he would accomplish what Adam failed to do, that is, to walk in obedience to his father, so that one day Jesus would be that the perfect, sinless, blameless sacrifice without which you and I are still in our sins. But because he stands and does not fall, he in fact uh, becomes our Savior. But here's the thing not to miss that Mark's focus is on the depth, the difficulty, the danger of the temptation endured by Jesus. Why, friends, is that so important today? Why is that so important to you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's important for this reason, because the Bible says because of this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, says Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
You see, because, as Mark tells us, he was with the Galileans, he was in the wilderness, but he withstood it all because it was so dark, because it was so hard, because it was so furious, because you know that's true of this Jesus, you can go with confidence to him. No matter what you're going through, no matter what temptation you're facing, no matter how weak you feel, you can go to him, the Bible says, and you know that you will receive grace, mercy, and help in your time of need. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become, this is who he is, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted. This is your suffering Savior. Because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This, says Mark, is your Jesus. Let me just close with this. J.C. Ryle, love J.C. Ryle, said this. The sim- this is what Mark's focusing on, you see. He doesn't even tell us the outcome of the temptation. But what he focuses on is the depth of the, of the suffering. The sympathy, said J.C. Ryle of Jesus, the sympathy of Jesus that he knows is a truth which ought to be peculiarly dear to all believers. Is it to you this morning? They will find in it a mine of strong consolation. They should never forget that they have a mighty friend in heaven who feels for them in all their temptations and can enter into all their spiritual anxieties. Are they ever tempted by Satan to distrust God's care and goodness? So was Jesus. Are they ever tempted to presume on God's mercy and run into danger without warrant? So also was Jesus. Are they ever tempted to commit some one great private sin for the sake of some seeming advantage? So also was Jesus. Are they ever tempted to listen to some misapplication of Scripture as an excuse for doing wrong? So also is Jesus. And then Ryle says this. Oh, it's so good. He is just the Savior that attempted people require. He's just the Savior that attempted people like us. Prone to wander, prone to sin. He's just the Savior we need. Let them flee to Him for help. Spread before Him all their troubles, says Ryle. They'll find His ear ever ready to hear and His heart ever ready to feel. He can understand their sorrows. This is uh, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for this word of Scripture. Lord, we thank You for all the Gospels we have that You've given to us so that we might hear each one and take to heart each word. And so, Lord, we thank You this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ, the second man, the last Adam, that as He begins His ministry, even as Satan comes to destroy Him, to get Him to fall, to get Him to fail, and so in His falling and His failing, destroy our hope of salvation. Lord, that we see Jesus 
stand. And we also see in the, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark reminding us of the depth, the, the difficulty, the danger that our Lord endured for our sakes so that He would be a merciful High Priest who is there to help give grace and mercy in our time of need. And so, Lord, we pray today simply that we would see our need. That we would know we need to go right now to this God. We need to go right now to this Savior. He is just the Savior. We need. Help us, Lord, to go to Him today and to find in Him a friend, a mighty friend, who not only consoles us and comforts us, but a mighty friend whom we know gives His life, His perfect life, that we might be saved. And we pray it in Jesus' name.